Welcome to the History Tricks, where any resemblance to a boring old history lesson is purely coincidental. Welcome to the show. Let's talk about Anne Boleyn. Let's take this mini-cast and talk about the life of this woman who is known through history in not the most pleasant terms. Oh, Anne Boleyn, Anne Boleyn, history has not been kind to you. Now, we touched on her last time when, during Catherine of Aragon because their lives really did intertwine. But let's go back a little bit more in her life and look at where she came from. Um, well... When was she born? Records don't tell us when she was born. There can be, I saw dates anywhere from 1500 to 1509. That's almost a 10 year span. Her father is, was Sir Thomas Boleyn, who was the son of an earl. He was a diplomat for Henry VII, and then subsequently for Henry VIII. Her mother was Elizabeth, who was the daughter of an earl. So she's in a noble family. She's a girl of means. Um, she has two siblings, Mary and George, and we touched on Mary's life in the Catherine of Aragon podcast. But up until she starts making some professional moves, we really don't know a whole lot about her. You know, she learned to play the lute. She learned to dance. She probably learned etiquette and some languages, reading and writing. These are things that she was going to need in the life that her parents had planned for her. Um, she was very witty and very smart and very charming. That's all we really, we really don't have a whole lot on her childhood. She was taught to be a courtier, that we do know. And she was sent at a relatively young age, some say as young as four, but Susan and I don't think Yeah, so. that seems highly improbable. But it does. Um, for it makes for a good story, though. It Before she was sent to court. Yeah. <laughs> but probably around 14, which was still kind of early. Her parents thought carefully about what would give their daughter the best polish. And they looked around at courts all over Europe and decided that the best thing to do would be to send her to the Archduchess Margaret in Austria. And she served there for a little while, and then she was sent with Mary Tudor. Queen of France, Henry VIII's sister, to be one of her ladies in waiting when she traveled to France to take up her new duties. And as that situation didn't last very long, Anne Boleyn also stayed to serve the next queen, Queen Claude. And so she stayed in France for quite a long time. And she got quite the education while she was there. Oh my, did she ever. Although not quite the education Mary got, evidently. No, but... Mary graduated, (laughs) shall we say. And the rumor is that Anne did not matriculate. Oh, is that what we're calling it? The matriculation. That's what these crazy kids are calling it these days. (laughs) But she did acquire an exotic way about her. So when she came back to the English court, she was more French than English. She had been Frenchified. Most certainly. Anyway. So ultimately, a match has been arranged for her. The Earl of Ormond, an Irish peer, has a son who has quite a bit of land and some money, and Anne is brought home, ostensibly, to marry this gentleman. But it all falls through. It all falls through. She does not get married to him. And so negotiations have to start somewhere else. And so, with nothing else to do, the well-brought-up young lady goes to the court. Of England. Her uncle, a powerful Duke of Norfolk, is a mover and a shaker. And a snake. And a snake. And he is the consummate courtier. And he, with the weak, the weak second 
her father, mm-hmm. Sir Thomas, decide to go ahead and put Anne at court. She's a beautiful young lady. You never know what, what fish we might turn up. You never do. Now, let's talk about how she looked. She actually, and let's go back to the Tudors, that actress actually kind of nailed her. I mean, she was dark-haired, brown-eyed, olive-skinned. She looked more like her than the one that played Catherine of Aragon, I would say. Yeah. Now, what about the extra finger? You read that she had six fingers and a big mole on her neck. And anybody credible that I've seen says, no, that's ridiculous. She never would have been accepted by Henry with that type of disfigurement. It was too witch-like. I think it was traced back to a writer 50 years after her death who was still bitter about Henry's separation from the Catholic Church. So. We can take that with a grain of salt. Just she take prob- it from the source. Yeah, she didn't, probably didn't have six fingers. But she's beautiful, but not strikingly so. I think her beauty came from her wit and her charm. And in an era when fair maidens were seen as not only the beautiful ones, but fair maidens are the virtuous ones. If you're blonde with white complexion and light eyes, well, you must have a good soul. Because that's how you were made. Well then, how do you account for... Snappy, vivacious, dark, exotique, with the French mannerisms. Wow, that's going to be something new at court. (laughs) Well, she makes quite a splash. Now, it's true that Anne had a love match in mind for herself. She wanted to marry Henry Percy of Northumberland. Now, this man, basically, his family owned half of England. (laughs) It was a pretty high match. And he had been betrothed to someone else since childhood. Mm-hmm. So she's stuck coming in late to the game, and she enchants him. And he falls in love with her, and she falls in love with him, and together they really think they can pull it off. And by all accounts, they had a secret marriage, which she was forced to repudiate quite heavily, because no way was that Lord Percy's father going to allow him to throw himself away on a nobody when this match had been arranged for him, and it was not up to him. And from her side, the Duke of Norfolk was quite uh, irritated that she had incurred the wrath of such powerful people. Right. Well, she also, Cardinal Woolsey got in on this, too. And he t- had told Henry Percy's father that this all was going down. He, uh, yeah, he's a piece of work. <laughs> so uh, the Duke of Norfolk happens to notice, however, that his king was in need of a new wife by all accounts, because he has no heir. Right. And there is a problem with that. Hmm, I wonder. And so he orders Anne to put herself in the king's way and to gather his attention. And it's really not that hard. It's not, because within a year of her landing at court, Henry is convinced that he wants her as his bride. That's the underlying story in the Catherine of Aragon story. You know, he's claiming all this religious reasons, but... If another part of his body is doing the thinking, like the millionaire matchmaker says, that that part of your body does the picking for the men. Mm. Like it's like, a who? <laughs> yeah, I don't know anything about that show. Yep. I'm going to have to take that on faith. You have to. It's like, bravo. It's one of my guilty pleasures. Anyway, um, so he's he's got his eye on her. But she has, she has not got plans to be a discarded mistress as her sister was. He offered her the position. 
completely vacant in England, as far as I know, for a very long time, the maîtresse en titre position, which is so popular in France, which means I will set you up as a almost queen. You will be first lady in all things. You just will not be the official queen. I will have no other mistresses but you. I will not even visit the queen's bed. You will be my object. And that wasn't good enough for her, because she saw how easily these mistresses could be discarded and palmed off and married to some minor nobleman and never heard from again. That wasn't the life she set out for herself. So if she was going to go for the prize, well, she was going to go for the prize. Yep. With the backing of her family, yeah. I might say. <laughs> yeah, the backing, the pushing, the scheming mm-hmm. of her family. Because that's, they're, she does well, they do well. Yes. That's just the way it worked. Honors are handed out, willy-nilly. And so, Catherine of Aragon is definitely outclassed in the chutzpah department (laughs) by this newcomer who captivates the king despite the fact that the people do not like her and often hiss her and, you know, call her names and everything. So, um, in order to be a suitable companion for the king and, indeed, for her to be presented to other noblemen, such as the king of France, etc., um, she had to have a title, and not just the daughter of a sir. She needed to have her own title. He gave her a title in her own right. And she was t- entitled the Marquess of Pembroke. Which had special meaning to Henry because his uncle, his great uncle, Jasper Tudor's castle was Pembroke Castle. Mm-hmm. And so to make her the Marquess of Pembroke in her own right... That's yeah. a hearkening back to his family. That's right. like a family name. And, and Henry during this time is being very romantic to her. Um, he's giving her gifts, and he is wooing her. He's still married, technically, but he is pulling out all the stops. And Henry does not like to put pen to paper himself. He prefers to dictate. He prefers to let other people do his writing for him. But he actually takes the time to sit down and write Love letters to Anne Boleyn. Like in writing. So there's proof. Mm-hmm. There's physical proof. And, um, we'll, hey, we'll go ahead and print this on our show notes if you want to read some love letters. One of them that I'm just looking at right now, he writes, In my sweetheart's arms, whose pretty duckies I shortly to kiss, written with the hand of him that was, is, and shall be yours by his will. Wow. And pretty duckies don't refer to backlinks. <laughs> it's a euphemism for décolletage, mm-hmm. shall we say. Yeah. Hmm. So really, you know she's not giving it up, but she's kind of giving it up more than probably is proper for someone. Yeah, and she actually had another fellow courting her for a bit, um, a poet by the name of Sir Thomas Wyatt. He tried to court her early on in her days um, in court, but Henry sent him away because he saw that she was giving him some attention and Henry wanted her all to himself. He was kind of jealous and really in love with this woman. So he sent him away, as the king can do, I suppose. So for seven years, they carried on this relationship while Henry is trying to get his annulment and get rid of his first wife. For seven years, they have this relationship, up until the end, when all of a sudden, Anne becomes pregnant. And so the the hustling has to start happening, because if Anne has a child out of wedlock, it makes no difference, because it's still a bastard. Bastard. If this baby in her tummy is a boy, 
This could be his heir, and he will have missed his chance. And so the machinery for breaking away from the church comes into full force. He declares himself head of the church. He declares his marriage invalid. It is over. He marries Anne Boleyn when she is pregnant, and she is crowned queen when she is six months pregnant, as if to put a seal on it, that no doubt this is my legitimate queen, with my legitimate heir in her legitimate tummy. And when she legitimately gives birth, it's not a boy. She gives birth to Elizabeth, who will, of course, become the future queen of England. But at the time, oh, another girl. You know, in fact, they had the announcements all drawn up and everything. And they had to, um, it was like, Her Majesty delivered of a prince. And, you know, it was all ready to go out. And somebody had to go in and handwrite a little. There was enough room to put an S after. (laughs) And say P-R-I. N-C-E-S was enough of a spelling of the time of princess to make it legit. There's not room for two S's, so they just put one, and they had to send that out instead, and it was a big... And I think maybe Henry started to feel a little bit um, irritated. He'd broken his kingdom. He'd broken away from the church. There's turmoil. There's chaos to get an heir, which he thought God was going to give him, and it turned out like this. And maybe he was wrong. And he couldn't be wrong. So obviously something was wrong with Anne. Yeah. But she was not a popular queen, although he'd been standing up for her up until about this time. She was, you know, people looked at her as an adulteress. Going back to the whole religious aspect, she was a Protestant. She was pushing the Protestant agenda big time. So she had an enemy in the Pope. When the Pope doesn't like you <laughs> and knows who you are and wishes that you were dead, well, that's a bad enemy to have if well, the Pope doesn't like you. That's true. And she's pissed at Woolsey already, so they're not getting along at all. So Woolsey's not her fan, although she she's so pissed at him, she urges for his beheading. I know. And, mm. and she succeeds in getting it. Actually, she succeeds in getting a few people's heads lobbed off. Oh, the power. <laughs> Yeah. I know, kind of going to her head. I don't know that she was necessarily a bad person. I mean, history kind of points her out as being a conniving, bad, horrible person. But honestly, I think Henry was already going down this path anyway with getting rid of Catherine. Mm-hmm. He was already cruel. He really already was. Right. He had it in him from right. the very beginning. He was already a spoiled, rotten brat. I think she was an enabler. Like, she let him do that, and she encouraged him to do that. And honestly, by that behavior, I think she encouraged him to become an utter monster. And when you let that monster out of the cage, it's going to bite you. Yeah, and if you don't know, the only thing that is going to control that monster is to spit out a boy. And she doesn't. She has two more stillborns. One of them is a boy who is actually born on the day of Catherine's funeral. There's no boys. Henry's seeing that. That's why he married her was for the boys, and... She's not, she's not bringing them. And then he sees somebody else back in the stable, <laughs> Jane Seymour, one of the ladies in waiting to Anne Boleyn, catches the eye of Henry. Now, of course, Henry has had three affairs during their short marriage, <laughs> and Anne was jealous. Actually, maybe they were a good batch because they're both jealous people. That tempestuous humor that you, you like in a mistress that come hither, no, go away, come hither, mm-hmm. go, go away. Like, they used to get ragingly angry at each other and then adjourn to the bedroom to make up, etc. That in a mistress is awesome. That in a wife, a wife you expect 
at the time. Remember, he had the 50s housewife before. Mm-hmm. He had Catherine of Aragon, who, it was like, what is your will? Let's let's make that happen. How dare you have this dinner when his majesty wanted another dinner? Let's get that taken care of. Well, Anne didn't care about his comfort or, you know, what his shirts looked like. As long as, you know, she wasn't going to make his shirts, but Catherine of Aragon wasn't going to make his shirts. That's all she cared about. Right. So he was missing that, like, I, I almost wonder if he regretted quite a bit, putting this tempestuous nightmare next to him instead of the calmness he was so used to. I think Mm -hmm. he might have had some regrets at this point. Right. Now, she did cross some lines several times. She mentioned in people's hearing that the king was not such a good lover, Mm -hmm. that his powers were not what they once were, etc. That was pretty indiscreet, especially when people don't like you. Right. And that was fuel to the fire for his anger against her. And given that he had a backup girl in the wings, he saw no problem in, although he treated her well, to her face, Mm -hmm. in behind the scenes getting this machinery of doom lined up against her. Let's go to the Tudors for a second, the Showtime series. I think they did a pretty good job with this. They brought in, you know, the ladies-in-waitings and questioned them in horrible conditions and made them say things that maybe you know, sounded like they were allegations. And then they brought people in who allegedly had had these affairs with Anne. And he was at a tournament on May Day with her. There's jousting. There's happiness. People are carrying people's favors. Horses are running. Horns are playing. And all of a sudden, he receives a note. And he gets up. And he leaves. And that is the last time Anne ever saw him. Because she was taken into custody at that point. They had quote-unquote proof and... You know, he's the king. He can find proof wherever he wants it. And these people were cruel to get that proof. Mm-hmm. You know, they're torturing. And again, I'm going to go back to the Tudors, and I hate to do this, but they show this particular segment pretty well. You know, the torture and the quick and speedy inquisition that came about. Yeah, so the men were found guilty. Actually, anything that I read, it's highly yeah. unlikely that these charges were true. Now, ironically, the one man, Wyatt, the poet, who... Wooed her once upon a time may actually have known her, as they say. Um, But he got off scot-free as, you know, he was of no importance. And the irony being, he's probably the one. The only one that did. Mm. Yep. But the rest of them, they met the same fate that uh, Woolsey met. That's right. Um, Now... Anne went on trial. I put trial in air quotes. Anne went on trial. The thing is, Henry had already ordered the executioner to set sail from Calais before Anne ever set foot in that room. So the outcome was a done deal, shall we say. Henry knew the outcome was a done deal. It was just a formality. He already knew he, who she he was going to replace her with. Yeah, and traditionally, the... Fate, one meets, if you're a woman convicted of treason, which coupling a king is treason, you are to be burnt at the stake. And the king, in his gracious wisdom, commuted it to simple beheading. And not, you're not gonna have the regular old executioner with the big old axe. I've sent for a special guy for you from Calais, and he's coming. And the delay, and the delay, and the delay. She knew she was going to die. She's hanging out in rooms in the Tower of London at this mm-hmm. point. She's not any place fancy. By any stretch of the imagination. She's being watched all the time. The women that are in her attendance are instructed to be telling everything to, ironically, her uncle, mm-hmm. the same guy who pimped her into the place to begin with. And had passed sentence on her, her yeah. uncle, her own uncle. 
Her father was allowed to excuse himself on the grounds of, you know, his close relation to her, but her uncle felt no scruples and was completely willing to condemn her. So after many delays, which must be heartbreaking if you think you're ready, and then there's another delay, the swordsman had come from Calais. The expert swordsman that Henry VIII had ordered, especially to make her last moments easier, which I think he ordered a French swordsman as that last bit of rage toward her, like, oh, well, why don't you die like a French person then, you <laughs> French lady yeah. that you think you are? You brought all your Frenchification to court. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ooh, so yeah. love turned to such hate, didn't it? It did. Oof, that was bad. I mean, it is size of the same coin, maybe. But anyway, so the day of her execution had come. She was dressed in a gray dress with a scarlet undergown. She was calm. She was composed. She was very, very sad. I have to tell you, Natalie Dormer in The Tudors pulls this off better than any film adaptation I have ever seen. Yeah, we... We'll talk about um, the other Boleyn girl in a minute, but yeah, I think that whole scene is kind of disturbing as it is to watch because you know what's going to happen. She does come to the the scaffold stage. I don't even know what it's called. Um, with such dignity, and you could see the emotion inside, though. Man, she does it so well. She does not rail against her fate. She does not curse Henry. She does not. You know, she, she's been maintaining her innocence all along. And at these times, at these times, people thought that when you die, you immediately have to face your maker. People probably still think that. But at this time, it was like the force of... Yes, yes we do. <laughs> but this time, it was like the force of... I mean, it was superstition, right. almost, right. level. Right. And so, to maintain your innocence right before... You're on the scaffold. The guy's right here with the sword. You will be within a minute and a half in front of God. Mm -hmm. And at that point, you now still maintain your innocence. Well, that actually convinced the bystanders. Mm -hmm. I mean, that actually softened their heart toward her, I do believe. And she simply asked them to pray for her. So Anne asked that she have a few words before the deed is done. Um, It's not the same as if the hatchet man is doing it, where you would lay down. um, It's more of a kneeling. Mm -hmm. Um, So she asked to have a few minutes before before that happens to say some words, and she's she says a few, and she talks of her of Henry, and she says, and send him long reign over you, for a gentler nor a more merciful prince was there never, and to me he was ever a good, a gentle, and sovereign lord. Awfully generous of her. Wow, he was always good and gentle up to this point when the French swordsman is about to knock off my head. Wow. Okay. And she simply um, asked everyone to pray for her soul, and she knelt down and began to pray out loud, commend, you know, commending her soul to God mm-hmm. and have mercy on her, etc. And the swordsman did, and this is actually dramatized in the Tudors, too. I know, it's really kind of good. Well. They, they hit this last thing pretty well, although a lot of other things they didn't, you know. But um, there was a ruse that the swordsman employed to get the victim's heads at the right angle for him. Right. <laughs> I mean, it was a kindness to the victim, too, but it was like, it, it was good for his reputation. Right, if he could also, do it in one shot, mm-hmm. then... And so what he did was, he had the sword hidden, and he would call across the victim, boy, bring my sword. 
and the victim would naturally turn their head toward that sound where the sword was coming from, they thought. Meanwhile, the sword would hit them from the other side, cleanly. It was over instantly. The ladies that had been attending her in the tower, all at this point weeping, just from their belief now in her innocence, too late as it was, um, gathered her body up. No preparations had been made to take her body anywhere. No plans had been made. There's no coffin. She was put in a basket and an arrow box and bundled out of sight. It just shocks me. And then the the bells are ringing that she is dead. And meanwhile, where is Henry? He's off with Jane. He is, because the very next day he's betrothed to her. Moving on. Looking for that heir. We'll have to save that story for another podcast. That's true. And so Anne Boleyn, who styled herself the most happy, ended up quite the most unhappy but Anne got hers back because her daughter, the little the little Elizabeth, the one that was the bastard of the concubine of Henry VIII, became one of the greatest monarchs England had ever known. So Anne Boleyn's legacy did live on through her little child. So at last she got her own back. But that the life of Anne Boleyn was a roller coaster. It was, and the once she got what she wanted, which was to be queen. She didn't have much life left after that. Mm-mm. It was, it went pretty fast. Um, as far as, you know, media and websites and stuff, just go back to our show notes on all of our other Tudors podcasts and link to those. Um, you can follow Anne Boleyn on Twitter. Actually, there's two of them that I found. One is just Anne Boleyn, um, which you'll get character tweets, I'm calling them, that Mm-hmm. tweets as if it was Anne Boleyn. And another one is actually a website, and we can link you to this. It's the Anne Boleyn Files, and it's a new book as well, which I haven't read, so I can't tell you what it's about exactly. <laughs> but it's that's also a good website, and we'll, we'll link you to that, and you can follow um, her on Twitter as well. And curiously, every Renaissance Fair I've ever been to, mm-hmm. the little parade they have, the queen is always... Anne Boleyn, even though she was hardly even the queen for a very long for a very long time, but yeah. yet she's got such a romanticness about her that all the ladies of the Renaissance Fair want to be Queen Anne Boleyn. So that's who you're going to see typically parading around with King Henry at uh-huh. the Renaissance Fair, which I always think is interesting because if you know she was hardly even there, she was a flash in the pan mm-hmm. as a queen, mm-hmm. but yet she yes. lives on every mm-hmm. September in Renaissance Fairs across America. That's funny. Do you want to spend a couple minutes talking about how much you love the other Boleyn girl? And I say love. Oh, you know what? As a matter of fact, I love the book, The Other Boleyn Girl. Yes. yes. Um, I do. It is complete and utter fiction, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, Philippa Gregory is really good at weaving things in to make them seem... Um, it's hard to tell what's realistic. Yeah, yeah. and that's and so that. it's a good start. It's a good entertainment. I do not care for the movie at all, no. but I believe I don't care for the movie because along came a superior production value show called The Tudors, equally as wrong historically, but with much better costumery and um, you know set design and everything. So I, it got overshadowed. You're a fan of how Miss Miss Portman played. No, I have to say, you. <laughs> I know, she she wants me to say something bad. Natalie I'm a, Portman is a fabulous actress. A suitably wooden performer. <laughs> Susan, is that what you want me to say? No. <laughs> Dad, see, what's the one where she plays the swan? What was that movie? No, the I Black didn't see that swan. one either. She was crazy. Well, there she you go. She was like controlled crazy, which is kind of similar. 
Well, I loved N- Natalie Dormer. I know mm-hmm. Natalie Dormer has blue eyes. Are we going to, like, and, be upset about and that? And in the later, in some episodes, the roots of her hair, which is not naturally dark, is growing in. So it's, instead of, like, you see a lot of blondes with the dark roots, you have a brunette with blonde roots coming in. I personally didn't like the, this movie because they just made Mary just this virginal sweetness. And, oh, I wish I could be like my sister Mary who's just earned the heart of the king and all that because she was not that at all. So that's why I don't like it. But, I mean, you know, watch it. Whatever. Yeah. Make your own opinions, but not really big fans over here. Oh, I will tell you, though, Mary Boleyn was the only smart one. Because (laughs) she bailed out of court. She married someone for love who was not of her rank at all and basically went away from court to live in the country in a lovely estate, which... I don't know why everyone doesn't do that, frankly. Who wants this? I, I always know. think when I read about the tutors, like, who would want this crap? Why is this fun? Why is this desirable? Mary Boleyn, even though she was not regarded as the smart one in the family, ended up being the smart one in the family. Because yeah. she ended up with happiness when everyone else ended up with no head. And there's always the tutors. The season with Anne Boleyn in it, I will say, is the most Fleshical oh, fantasy ever known. Every time there was some flesh showing, a child would walk in the room. And I'm, like, watching on my laptop with earbuds in, and they still seem to just walk in. It's like, oh, man. So there's Anne Boleyn. We've covered her, and then we'll cover the rest of the wives in an upcoming episode. So thank you so much for listening. Bye. Sometimes I love, I love this girl. Tangle, love a hater. Sometimes I don't even know why I date her. She thinks I'm a player and I don't know Sega. The preacher, the superhero, I won't save you. She the type of girl that'll go through your phone. Who you with, where you at, and when you coming home. I'm out here on the road and I'm getting stoned. So little mama, you really need to let it go. But no matter what I say, she won't believe that. I say the same thing like a CD scratch. One more time and I'm out of here, man. Then she blew up my phone like the Taliban. Packed my bags, but I just couldn't leave. Like she got some kind of hold on me. Meanwhile, she went to self, I'm cheating. Went outside to my car and cheated. What's that say? Need a liar. Why you crazy girl why you acting crazy i told you lady you my one and only and i love you baby man i swear this lady's crazy man i'm tired of all this bickering and fighting i ain't gotta put up with this man sometimes i love i love this girl sometimes she pushes and pushes